Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Clones Podcast Tuesday, the last one of 2017, and I've got Keegan-Michael Key waiting, so let's get on this right now. Kobe Bryant had his numbers retired, plural, and it was Maximum Mamba last night at Staples Center. Matt Ryan may have won an MVP. He may have taken the Falcons to the Super Bowl, but I'm not going to remember him for that. Not after what he did and what he said last night. And I've got a public service announcement so we can all learn something from that poor woman sitting courtside at the Hawks game who blew a five-course meal right through her teeth. Kyle Lowry came in. He talked about what Kobe meant to him and a little bit of junk about teammate DeMar DeRozan. Lee Jenkins absolutely killed it once again, talking hoops. And then he absolutely killed the Chargers for leaving San Diego. And we ran down Bob Huggins, West Virginia basketball head coach. He had another great showing in the jungle. Alvy, lots to get done today, so go ahead and roll. So Golden State beats the Lakers last night, 116-114. to 114, And it's a game that went into overtime, had multiple highlight reel dunks. But the baby Lakers nearly knocking off the defending champs was just a side note. Last night was not about the future. It was not about the growth of Brandon Ingram, the potential of Lonzo Ball. It was all about Kobe Bryant. As the Lakers retired his numbers, and yes, I said numbers, because the answer to the question of which jersey would they retire is both. 8 and 24. They both went up into the rafters at halftime. But before that party started, it started well before halftime, in fact. In fact, it even started before the game. Truthfully, I'm not sure who enjoyed last night more and had their feelings more hyped. Was it Kobe or was it Kobe's fans? Because Kobe fans were dominating Twitter with their emotions. They were dominating the street outside with a festival even before the game. Yes, they had a street festival. It was complete with a Ferris wheel, Kobe dolls, Kobe shoes, a 17-foot inflatable Kobe, Kobe everything. And inside the building, there was more Kobe. Kobe videos, Kobe kicks, the list goes on and on and on. The only thing missing from last night was the Kobe stopper. Except he wasn't missing from last night. Reuben Patterson was in the house. I mean, freaking perfect. They thought of everything. But then again, when the Lakers do do something, when they pay tribute to one of their legends, they go big. And they've never done it bigger than they did last night. Then again, they were celebrating five NBA titles, one MVP award, two NBA Finals MVPs, 18 All-Star appearances. He is the greatest to ever put on the purple and gold. And that's not my words. They belong to Magic himself. We're here to celebrate the greatest who's ever wore the purple and gold. For 20 years, he thrilled us. He made us scratch our head. What did we just see? What did we just witness? There will never, ever be another Kobe Bryant. I mean, never say never. Never say never, but it's safe to say Laker fans will never, ever love another player the way they love Kobe Bryant. And there will never be another retirement ceremony quite like that one. Forget the fact that legends like Shaq O'Neal, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Allen Iverson, former Lakers trainer Gary Vitti were all in attendance. It was even bigger than that. They were giving away special edition Kobe drones. Yes, Kobe drones. I mean, amazing. What an amazing time to be alive. And as for the question of the greatest Laker ever, as you can imagine, Shaq had his own thoughts on that. Shaq said, quote, 
I am probably the most dominant Laker, but I never wanted to be the greatest. Kobe, ever since he came in, always told me he was going to be the greatest. And you can tell by his work ethic and the way he played. The conversation for best in franchise history is between him and Magic. But if you ask me, I am more Kobe. End quote. And of course, retiring both jerseys only delays the inevitable question about the single number. For example, if there is a Kobe statue outside of Staples, what number will it wear? If you're a statue, you don't necessarily have to see the number anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, if you do hair, I guess it's a dead giveaway. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth. But, uh, you know, 8 has something that 24 will never, ever, 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 ever have. And, and, and you know, that's the ability to grow hair. <laughs> I mean, hair jokes aside, he did have takes. He had a lot more takes. 24 was more challenging. And, you know, I, I tend to gravitate um, to things that are harder to do. And physically for me, it was really, really hard to get up night in and night out, man. It, it was really, really, it's a grind. Um, you know, uh, taking on the Boston Celtics, um, you know, having a bone fragment in my foot during that series, having a broken finger, and, you know, muscling through that back half of the career. Um, some of the toughest stretches of basketball ever, man. And so I guess if you force me to pick one, I'd probably go with 24 because of that. You know, it's not you spending a lot of time looking back. No, you're spending a lot of time, wasting a lot of time looking back. He certainly wouldn't do it. But I got to say, when you hear his voice, you hear him talk about those things, hard not to miss that guy. Hard not to miss him, and especially in this town. And I'm sure Laker fans probably never, ever, ever fully get beyond that. They love Kobe so much, they're not going to let certain things happen. They're not going to be fine just with that 24 statue. They're going to want a 24, and they're going to want an 8. They're going to want both those things. And then he wrapped the night. He closed his speech by talking directly to his daughters. Those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway, um, that is actually the dream. That's the dream. It's not the destination. It's the journey. And if you, guys, if you guys can understand that, then what you'll see happen is that you won't accomplish your dreams. Your dreams won't come true. Um, something greater will. You know, that's real. That's not a guy talking out his backside. That's not a guy talking out the side of his mouth. I mean, that guy lived that. He lived that, and he's right. Laker fans aren't ever going to let that go away. Legends retire. They fade away, but it's going to take a long, long time before Kobe fades away, especially in this town. Mamba, not out. Mamba, not out. We go to Rex in Albuquerque. Rex, good morning. What's up? How are you? I'm great, Jim. Thanks for all you do for us by grinding all year long. But uh, I got to say, Kobe Bryant is a giant bag. You know, they retired both of his numbers last night, and what does this tool do? He leaves before OT even started. How disrespectful is that? And what exactly is L.A. celebrating? The fact that this guy signed a two-year contract for $50 million at age 36 after he wrecked his Achilles and shot 36% from the floor? That deal set the franchise back 10 years. Or is it the fact that no free agents would go near L.A. while his arrogant ass was there? He's the singular reason while the L.A. Lakers are the joke that they are right now, and LeBron is not walking through that door. War furball. I'm out. Troll much? All right, Rex. All right, brother. What's going on? 
Happy holidays, buddy. How you doing? Good, good, bro. How about you? Excellent, excellent. Got a a la carte chicken flautas and a Dos Equis. Can't beat it, man. Great Must morning. Must be nice. Great morning. Um, one thing I get accused of, Romy, is it's parroting you. And I understand that because, like we've talked about in the past, it's like, you know, genius minds think alike. It's like your takes are semi-my takes. My takes are semi-your takes. We think kind of the same. With that in mind, get F and set, clones, because uh, here's a little information for you. Now, this guy Rex, calling out Kobe Bryant. See, one of the things I like about Kobe Bryant, Romy, is that dude always did things the right way. Yeah, he might have rubbed people wrong a little bit. He might have been, you know, a, a little, uh, what can we say, like uh, narcissistic maybe. But the whole thing is, is the guy's got five rings. The guy used to get on Shaq, and one thing that bums me out and pisses me off is when douchebags get on Shaq's jock and say, oh, the Lakers should have kept Shaq, the Lakers should have kept Shaq. No, the Lakers made the right decision. They kept the younger guy, they kept the guy they could depend on. And Shaq went, yeah, Shaq won a ring with Miami, but Kobe won, what, two more with the Lakers, so he's one up on him. And it's like Shaq never did the right thing. And I'm a huge Laker fan. I mean, I'm an L.A. guy. And I'll give you a perfect example. One time I was at the Lakers training facility picking up some hardwood AAA 111s for the Staples Center. And I was sitting there, and they were walking out after practice. Shaq had an entourage of about 20 dudes laughing, bumping up their Shazam, Shaq rap stuff. And then Kobe comes out by himself, literally walking by himself, going to the gym. Said hello to Kobe. He was a cool guy. Like you said, he's a good dude. He's an approachable guy. But it bums me out when people you know, compare Shaq and Kobe because there's no comparison, really. One's one guy and one's another guy. These guys, you know, you're right. Let me jump in, Ray. There's no comparison between those two guys. Unlike the comparison between you and I, because as you point out, we are very similar. We are both geniuses. Clones, time for me to talk to you about Stamps.com. Listen, these days, you can get practically everything on demand, such as our podcast. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So let me ask you, why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours? When you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com. Anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk. As an example, the holidays are coming up. My wife, Janet, is all about the Christmas card. We send out hundreds, literally hundreds of Christmas cards, and there's no way we could do it without Stamps.com. I'm going to print my own postage. I'm going to do it when I want and do it at home. Trust me, with the holidays coming up, you should do the exact same thing, and you'll thank me for it. Go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle for a special, special offer. A four-week trial, which includes postage and a digital scale. Do not wait. You want to go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle. Stamps.com, never go to the post office ever again. I know I won't. That's stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. We are joined by Kyle Lowry. In fact, why don't you guys put that up since I don't see it? 
Hey, Kyle, good to have you on the show. How are you? Uh, what up, Jim? How are you? Good, good, bud. How about you? How are things? Uh, things are well. Just headed off to the airport to uh, head on down to Charlotte. Good man. All right, I'm glad we could spend a few minutes before you get there. You beat Sacramento on Sunday in a game where the team gave up 30 in the first quarter, 33 in the second, but then a total of 30 in the second half. So let me start right there. What did you guys do at halftime to change it up, and then how proud were you of that performance on the defensive end after intermission? I think we got the opportunity to go back at halftime, look at the film, and look at the things that we were not doing. Um, Coach really emphasizes that we need to follow the game plan, stick to the game plan, and and kind of pick up our energy a little bit. I think we were a little bit, you know, lackluster in the first uh, first half, but um, you know we finished the game on strong and uh, we did what we were supposed to do. Kyle Lowry joining us, and then in that win over Sacramento, when Vince Carter was subbed out of the game for the final time, he received a standing ovation from Toronto fans. What were you thinking when you saw that moment? Um, especially, I think Vince Carter, um, you know, really changed the game of basketball in the country of Canada. I think he basically, you know, set the bar of, of uh, you know, players coming out. They wanted to be just like Vince Carter, so they wanted to work hard. And um, I think he really changed the game of basketball in, in general. You know, the, the dunks he did in the All Star Weekend, guys are doing that now in his warm up dunks. So um, it, it was a special moment for for the fans of Toronto. You know, hopefully it's not his last game in the Air Canada Center. Um, so hopefully we see him again and we can give him more ovations. Toronto Raptor Kyle Lowry joining us. Now, in the offseason, you could have left town, but you decided to re-sign and stay there. So what was that decision-making process like for you? And then ultimately, what made you feel like that's where you wanted to stay and that the Raptors had the best opportunity for you? Um, I think at the end of the day, it's a, it's a tough decision because it's life-changing. Um, it's an opportunity to either go somewhere different or stay somewhere familiar. You know, it's always good to go somewhere different sometimes to change the scenery, but I want to stay home and be and be in a familiar situation. My my wife and kids love the place, and, you know, I think it was the best situation for me to try to, you know, do something special here, you know, try to get a championship in Toronto and, you know, and try to build something and keep continuing building something. Now, Kyle, we spent the better part of the first hour talking about Kobe Bryant because he had not one but two numbers retired last night here in Los Angeles. Yesterday, you Instagrammed a pic of you and Kobe going up against each other in the All-Star game. So what kind of memories do you have of playing against him, and what are your thoughts about him? Uh, memories going against him is he was the most ferocious player I've ever played against. He was more physical on offense than he was on defense. Um, uh, the, the, the list can go on and on about the, the way things, you know, things Kobe did. But um, it was just uh, an honor for me to have an opportunity to step on the same floor as him, um, being from the same city as him. So it, it just it just showed the, the respect that I have for him, his, the love for the game that he has. Uh, he, he's been a tremendous uh, man for the game of basketball, and he's been a trendsetter, and he, he made every last person in, in, in the NBA and in the basketball world try to elevate their game to keep up with him. He, he started a, a phrase, Mamba mentality, that everyone uses to this day and will continue to use. Yeah, it's such a great phrase. Like, what's that mean to you? When you think about a Mamba mentality, what's that mean? Uh, kill or be killed. Uh, do whatever you have to do to, to, to get to push through. Um, take your game, take your life, take everything to the next level. Don't worry about it. Don't feel no pain, no fear, no nothing. Just go out there and do it. Hashtag Mamba Mentality. Kyle Lowry joining us. Now, you've always been one of the best in the league when it comes to taking charges, and you've said, quote, it's a game changer when the smallest guy takes a charge on the biggest guy on the floor, end quote. So lay that out for me. What do you mean by that? And does it fire everybody else up when you take a charge like that? I think it, it fires everyone else. It's like, man, listen, this guy is out here laying his body on the line to, to try to help us win this game, so why not us do the same thing for him? 
Um, I think it's a, it's a momentum changer. It could be a guy's fourth foul. It could be a guy's second foul in the early in the first half. Um, you know, it could be a big charge down late in the game. I remember one game, we had a playoff game series. Chuck Hayes took a charge on Brandon Roy to save the series for us. And, uh, you know, those type of plays really change the outcome of games sometimes. You know, on a lighter moment or a lighter note, a few weeks back, you and some of your teammates went to a golf simulator. Now, I've heard other athletes talk about golf, right? And I've heard guys talk about how they're better at their own sport because golf lets them get away and completely unwind. So what's it like for you? I mean, do you like golf like that? Does it make you a better basketball player or is it just something else? No, I love it. I love golf. I mean, I am a golf addict. I, I literally will play any chance I get the opportunity to. I play on the road. I mean, I, I try to play whenever I can because I love it. You know, something that challenges me to be a better, better focused player uh, on the on the golf course. And then when I take those, you know, those skills that I learned on the golf course, you know, the patience, the the, the slow down, just to be in the moment type of things, I can take it back to the basketball floor and complete those things and do them on the basketball floor, and it helps me out. Yeah, can I tell you, you explain that exactly like every great athlete that I know that uses <laughs> golf. No, I mean that. I mean, uses golf to become a better player in their sport, literally a better person, because you've got to use your head, your heart, your mind, everything. Except DeMar DeRozan, man, I don't think he gets it, Kyle. I don't think he understands. Uh, man, listen, I'll tell you right now, DeMar will never, ever step on a golf course. That simulator is the closest he'll ever get to a golf club. That man doesn't give uh, two craps about playing golf he will talk trash about it but he yeah that's not his thing <laughs> Dude, I, I think you know I think that you know where I'm going with that because you're right he does talk a lot of crap about that this is what he said about you I mean you made it pretty clear you've got a passion for the game you love the game he said quote his knowledge of the game is tremendous but Kyle is terrible he's terrible <laughs> I hope you all go to a course and film 18 holes of him playing and the reality of it will come out he definitely do practice but he sucks <laughs> End quote. So is Listen, he here to hate? Is that jealousy? What is that? Hate is going hate. I tell, I tell him all the time, hate ain't a good color on him. It ain't a good look for him. <laughs> I'm telling you. Like, he went on to say that he thinks that you want to be like Steph, but you're really more like Charles Barkley. And come on, man. In the, <laughs> in the spirit of fairness, you can respond to that, but what do you make of DeMar's golf swing? DeMar is terrible at everything besides basketball. He could draw a little bit, but if it ain't if it's not on the basketball floor, he ain't doing he he's terrible at it. But that's my brother, so he can make those type of comments because he's he always gonna make fun of me. But yeah, I'm a lot better than I think I'm a lot better than Charles Barkley. I love that. He's terrible at everything not related to shooting a basketball. Listen, in the offseason, you went to South Africa and you participated in the NBA Africa game. What was the trip and the experience like for you? Well, I got an opportunity. I, uh, I made it a, a two-week trip. I went a week early and uh, went to Johannesburg and did a safari and took my family out there. So that that was the, the treat in itself and being able to see you know those those animals up live and, uh, and up close and personal um, in their own territory on their natural habitats and just living life like in the wild and that that itself in itself was awesome. But going to Africa and and being able to to be there, support Maasai, um, helping kids, building homes, um, bringing the game even more global to a place where I think they'll have much more talented players in, in coming out of there and soon to come. Um, Joel and B, you know, Serge Ibaka, Pascal Siaka, we got a couple of those guys on our team. So it was, an, it was an unbelievable experience. It was a humbling experience, and we got a chance to go see the Mandela uh, Museum, and, you know, it was, it, I enjoyed it. I would definitely do the trip again. What an amazing experience that sounds like. I'm so glad you brought that up, too, or you mentioned that. 
because Kyle, my wife and I talk about this all the time. We try and do that one trip with the kids that's a little bit different, something to always remember. And she's been pushing me for that very trip. Do it. You do think it. so? Is that the right thing to do? I'm telling you right now, your your children, you, your wife, will, it's an experience that you will never experience like like that. I mean, you're up close and personal. I mean, my, my, my youngest child started kind of making noises during that. We were on a lion's, and the, the lion looked at us like he was about to come and pounce on us. And it was kind of scary, but... Yeah, I kind of I, I jammed the pacifier in his mouth. I was like, "You listen, boy, you better be quiet because we're not getting in right now." <laughs> wow, yeah, I think you've answered the question, and I know if she's listening right now, that thing's already booked. I mean, that's exactly the testimony yeah, sure. you're looking for. Hey, one last time, you mentioned Joel Embiid. What do you make? I, I absolutely love this guy, just from an outsider's point of view. What do you make of his game and his personality, and what he might do for the league if he stays healthy and realizes his potential? Well, I think he's been proven that he's been healthy, so that's that's a, that's a positive right there. And I I'm glad he's able to be out there. His game is unbelievable. He can shoot it, he can dribble, he can pass, he can play. He he he, he talks trash. I mean, he's bringing the game to uh, another level with with bigs. And I, I, you got to appreciate what he's doing on the floor. I mean, I think his team has gotten better. He's believing in what they've done, what they're doing, and he talks it. He talks the trash and backs it up, and it's fun. It's fun for guys to see it, and it's, it's pretty cool. Now, I talked about it with Mike Freeman yesterday on the program. There was not a better moment to me from Sunday than that pre-snap conversation between Clay Matthews and Cam Newton in the Packers-Panthers game. Do you remember that? It was on the opening drive. Carolina was on the Green Bay 7. They come out in a formation that Clay Matthews recognized. Now, you've got to listen very carefully to hear this. The audio is low. We try to pump this up as much as we could. But listen to this. Matthews recognizes the formation and tells it to his teammates. Well, they've had a tough time down here. It's that wheel route. It's that wheel route. Let's go. Watch this. I'm in the game now. Right alongside Cam Newton. 15th play of the drive. Newton finds it. McCaffrey touchdown. What a drive. Right now on the TV show, when this thing comes to a TV near you on January 2nd, you can see the video of that. It makes even more sense. I try to pump the audio up. Let me read you the transcript because it's just that good, and it was hard to hear. Clay sees the formation. He knows what's about to happen, so he yells to his teammates, and I quote, It's that wheel route. It's that wheel route. I've studied too. Then Cam hears that, and he looks at Clay and says, You've been watching film, huh? Clay responds with, Oh, yeah. And Cam says, that's cool, watch this. And then Christian McCaffrey runs a fake wheel route into a slant. Cam hits him for a touchdown. It's an amazing moment. I mean, really, it's incredible. He shouted, quote, that's cool, watch this, before a touchdown. It's really cool. It's clutch. Run this back, Alvin, one more time. Pump it up as much as you can. Boy, they've had a tough time down here. It's that wheel route, it's that wheel Alongside Cam Newton. 15th play of the drive. Newton finds it. McCaffrey touchdown. That is so good. That is so, so good. Clay screaming, it's that wheelhouse. It's that wheelhouse. And Cam says, You've been watching film, huh? Yeah, well, watch this. And then they get a touchdown. Now you know why Mike Freeman in that same interview yesterday said that he would pay for a channel that would only play audio of NFL players talking to each other. He'd pay for that and he'd watch it 24-7 because it really was that awesome. And I thought that would be the greatest piece of sound from the NFL this year. It might have been hard for you to hear right there, but that was going to be the best sound all year long of something that happened on the field. And it was until last night 
more specifically until Matt Ryan snapped off or snapped at one of his players last night. The truth is, last night's game was not the greatest game ever. Far from it. But Matt Ryan provided one of the greatest moments ever. Atlanta's up 17-14. to Fourth quarter, the Falcons had first down on the Buccaneer 40, and Ryan wanted to make sure that everybody was lined up properly. Specifically, he wanted to make sure that Mohamed Sanu was in the right spot. Carrying their win. Damn, Matthew. Now that one I know you heard. That one you didn't need to pump up. Damn, Matthew. Earmuffs. Matty Ice was red hot at Sanu. Alvi, blast that one more time. Carry in their win. Ooh. Ooh. Play by play, dude's like, ooh. Get bleeping set. I'm not sure what's more impressive. The microphone technology that had the strength to pick that up, or the fact that Ryan's lungs could project that much. I mean, that was so loud, I'm not sure that we even needed a microphone on the field. I wasn't sure if I heard that through my TV or through my window because my man let it rip. He's not joking either, right? You can tell from his tone. He's not joking. This guy was raging and F-bombing. Matt Ryan, under center, going with that. And you could see it even after the play. The guy was still all red-faced and still red-hot, and I love it. Not because it's a gratuitous F-bomb, but I love it because Matt Ryan, the rap about Ryan's been, this guy's a really good quarterback, but he doesn't let his personality out. More to the point, the guy really doesn't even have a personality. Are you going to say that after hearing this? I'm sure Matt Ryan would tell you, look, it's my job to win football games and not be a personality. He's right. It's working out pretty nicely for him. Hard to argue with the resume he has. Rookie of the year. MVP. Four Pro Bowls. Just don't tell me this guy doesn't have a personality. Easily my favorite Matt Ryan moment ever. I mean, sure, there was the trip to the Super Bowl. But years from now, what are you going to remember most? All those passes that he completed to Julio Jones or that time that he screamed, get bleeping set to Mohamed Sanu. I know what my answer is, and if yours isn't Ryan screaming, then you're a liar. You are a liar. Not a liar and a felon. Just a liar. Get bleeping set. An amazing moment. And a felon. And a felon. Come on over, police officers. I got nothing to hide. Lee Jenkins. Lee, it's great to have you on. How are you? Great, Tim. How you doing? Lee, I'm awesome. Nice to have you on. So you have a piece up today on SI.com about the Lakers retiring Kobe Bryant's jerseys. Jerseys last night. First of all, what was the atmosphere like outside of Staples and then inside of it as well? It was vintage Kobe. I mean, it was a spectacle as always. What's weird about it, Jim, is it felt like felt like we'd done it all before. You know, that whole season, that 15-16 season, all felt like sort of Jersey retirement, ceremony, farewell tour. So there was kind of a familiarity, even like the video montages. I was kind of like, are they using the same stuff they used from the Utah game uh, a couple years back? So it was, it was similar feeling. But, you know, with Kobe, everything is in the Lakers. Everything is going to be over the top. There was a Ferris wheel. There were inflatable Kobe's outside. There was a Kobe Land amusement park. You know, inside it was... 
it was kind of, I've never seen an L.A. crowd that was so jerseyed. I mean, it looked almost like a Colts game, you know, or a Steelers game sure. where everybody's in jerseys. That's how it was. It was 8s, 24s, and lower, lower Marion 33s. And it was just kind of a reminder, Jim, of, I mean, so few athletes, I think, transcend the team they play for. But in his case, it feels like there are Kobe fans and there are Laker fans, and the Kobe fans almost sometimes seem to be more passionate in some ways. Lee Jenkins joining us. So, Lee, how would you describe Kobe's legacy, and do you think that he's comfortable with that legacy? Yeah, I do. I do at this point. I always think, you know, I feel like so much of, look, it was great. It was a stroke of greatness, probably, that he created this, some myth around himself, right? Some cult of personality. And I think that had to do with this Mamba character, this kind of maniacal person who would never be satisfied. And I think that led to sort of this assumption that he couldn't retire that in retirement he would be completely dysfunctional without the game because he wouldn't really know how to live without it. But I, I felt like for a while, for years now, that he, was, that he was comfortable with that character and who he was going to be, just in terms of all the legacy burnishing he did late in his career, all the sort of storytelling around his career. I felt like he'd achieved, he'd achieved comfort and peace with it, you know, with being, I think we can comfortably say that he's, what, a top ten player, you know, one of the top two or three Lakers ever for sure. So, no, I think he's, I think he's very at peace kind of with his life and what he's left behind. He never achieved Michael Jordan's status, but I remember Lamar Odom once told me, so like, he's motivated. What motivates him is us having this conversation, is him sort of even just denting the conversation of being with Michael Jordan, of being in that pantheon, and clearly he was there. Lee Jenkins joining us. Lee, I could talk to you about Kobe for another half hour, but I want to keep moving while I have you on the air. You did this fascinating profile on Ben Simmons recently, and there are a couple of relationships that are really interesting in his basketball development. Back when he was 17, he was at the LeBron James Skills Academy in Las Vegas. When LeBron approached him, how did the two of them first meet, and then how would you describe that relationship? So there was a connection through Rich Paul, LeBron's friend, LeBron's agent. Ben's sister had worked for Paul's agency. So there was kind of a a business connection there. But clearly LeBron saw in Simmons some elements of himself. I think sometimes it's overstated. Simmons is nowhere near as strong and probably as explosive as LeBron was as a young player. Uh, But he's another guy who is oversized and likes to have the ball in his hands and can see the floor. I mean, he's got great vision and feel for the game. And I think some of those elements, combined with being, you know, an oversized ball handler, reminded LeBron of himself. And listen, this is, you know, we're just talking about Kobe, and these guys are so much an influence of who they grow up watching, of their time. So Kobe was obviously influenced by Michael. Now we have this generation, Simmons is just one of them, that's influenced by LeBron. So you see these big dudes who like to have the ball in their hands and like to play make for others. Simmons clearly is a guy who needs a ton of work on his shot, just like Ball. They have some similarities also. Uh, but I think LeBron, in his case, was that major influence. I'm talking about somebody who grew up kind of when that Heat super team was really rolling. LeBron became the guy who was the poster on his wall. Lee Jenkins joining us. All right, so that's the first relationship. The other one, Lee, is with Sixers head coach Brett Brown, who invested a ton of time in Simmons when he was hurt last season, watching film and teaching him how to be a point guard. I mean, there was a possibility that Brown might never see the fruits of that labor. So what do you make of him putting in all that time? And then how do you go about teaching a guy to be a point guard when he can't actually play? 
Yeah, I mean, this is, these projects are unfolding around the NBA. This is similar to what the Bucks did with Giannis before they got Bledsoe. Is, you know, so many teams are taking their most dynamic player, no matter how big they are, and they're, they're making them the point guard. They're putting the ball in his hands. This is sort of, I think, part of the LeBron James legacy. So with Simmons, even though he liked having the ball and was a playmaker, he wasn't actually the point guard at LSU. He hadn't actually played that position a ton going back to high school. So Brown felt, you know, the Sixers have all their rookies on, on this redshirt program because of these injuries they have, and they've kind of figured out how to maximize that year, how to probably make it for someone like Simmons more valuable than the college year. So for Brown, he sort of looked at it as, because they were going to play Simmons as a power forward. That's what they were doing. That's what they did for the first few days of camp before he got hurt. When he got hurt, I think Brown felt like, wow, we have the benefit of time now. Let's try to capitalize on this. So they spent all year with him, showing him clips of LeBron, showing him clips of Magic, juxtaposed with clips of himself, taking him through. I mean, it was skull sessions. It was showing him tapes. What's your read here? You know, what does this mean? What signal from the bench do you do? If I show you this, if I rub my shoulder, what are you going to do on the court? So it became just a year of tutelage. And this is, look, this is what Brett Brown's been doing this whole time. I mean, he's had to invest the time in those highly talented picks because so much of what the Sixers did as far as the winning and losing was basically inconsequential. We knew that they weren't going to be a very good team. He's had to plan for the future, plan for the future for so long. And now that future, if, if not totally here, is, is clearly close. And it's brilliant. He was patient. They were patient with him. They worked their plan. They planned that work, and now look at them. And I can go on and on about the Sixers. I love what they're doing there. But, Lee, yeah. I cannot let you go without talking some Charger football. Oh, Lee, what were you thinking when the Chargers went into Arrowhead on Saturday night with a chance to take that major step towards the playoffs, only to play, frankly, their worst game in more than a month and lose? Oh, thank God. Yeah, you know, there's nothing like losing a thank team God. painful enough, but – the torment of thinking of that team winning a championship and when the city you're from has never won one is, I think, a special kind of torture that only Dean Spanos could, could think up. So I'm still worried about them, about them Jim, because they're, they're pretty talented, and they've been incredibly healthy, especially compared to how they are, how they've been in past years. So clearly there's just a huge sigh of relief that they would go in and do what they do in Kansas City. Um, but, yeah, it's just... And I feel for the Rams fans, too, because, like, they had this – the L.A. Rams fans had this when they went to St. Louis, right? They turn around and become the greatest show on turf. Now they're back in L.A., and those people might have to see them make a deep playoff run. So for the Chargers to have won a Super Bowl this year or been even in that mix – uh, it kind of just opens a wound all over again. Lee, it's such a confounding and strange conversation to have with you because on the one hand, not only are you an objective, impartial journalist, you're like, maybe the best that I know, but there's nothing impartial about or objective about this conversation. But I'm not even saying that you're wrong to feel this way. It just really is confounding to me. I mean, <laughs> be honest, on any level, when they went on that run leading up to Saturday night where they had won four straight, where they had won seven to nine, they had this amazing turnaround of their season, was there any part of you that was secretly happy about that no, and looking to get no. back on that bandwagon? No, 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 no. I mean, no. Like, you know, yeah, you, no. There I'll was, take that uh, as a no. Nothing. I mean, I, 
a Kareem Hunt fan <laughs> all the way. <laughs> oh, man. So th- this is the way it's going to be forever and ever. Time will not heal this wound. You will yeah, never, I mean, ever be a Chargers fan. The only way fan. it heals is if somebody, you know, if they get involved, their ownership gets involved in some scandal, which is always possible, and the team gets sold and moved back. But, no, I mean, these, these moves, I don't think – it's slash and burn. And what makes this so, un- so unusual is that because they're so close – I almost feel like San Diego is still sort of the loudest voice when it comes to the Chargers because no one in L.A. really cares. So it still becomes, it's almost like San Diego's anger has replaced whatever passion or interest there would have been in them otherwise. Lee, what about the players? It's not their fault. What about Phil Rivers? What about the guys on that team? You know they didn't make that move. It wasn't yeah, on them. Yeah, trying hard not to root for injuries. So you have, to, you have to try hard not to root for injuries, I guess. Bob Huggins is my guest. Bob, it's good to have you back on. How are you? Romney, great to, great to hear from you. Hug, you too. It's great to have you on the show. Glad we could find you. Hey, Bob, earlier this month, you had a stretch where you played number 15 Virginia on a Tuesday, and then you followed that up with a game against Pittsburgh on a Saturday. It's a tough combination. So how much of that was maybe getting you guys ready for what nearly every single week is going to be like in the Big 12? Well, that was the plan. The plan was to play two Power 5 schools, back-to-back. We actually did the pit game uh, quite a while ago when the series was resumed, and I, I tried to work with uh, Virginia to make sure that it could be in the same week for us. Bob Huggins joining us. You know, Bob, I'm looking at the team from afar. Javon Carter's having a monster season. 19 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, nearly 4 steals per game. So what does he mean to you and to the team? Really means everything. I think, Romy. I think more than his statistics is his competitive, his competitive spirit. Uh, I mean, he just the Missouri game. He willed us to win. Uh, we were we were pretty much dead in the water, and he just he just wouldn't let us lose. And then, you know, then I think our other guys stepped it up. Dexter Miles stepped it up, and Wesley Harris, and and then we kind of got it going. But there's no way we'd have won that game without him. Bob Huggins joining us. You mentioned Miles. You know, Bob, you look at Carter and Miles, and they've played 110 games together. You know, there's one cliche after another about the importance of senior guards in college basketball, but how much truth is there to that? And then how valuable is it to have two guys of that quality that have been together that so that long on the court together? Well, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, depends on how good they are. Right. Um, you know, I mean, when I had Van Exel and Jackson, we were pretty good. You know, I mean... But they were really good, so you know it, it's if you got if you got bad guards, you really want to replace them anyway. So you know you want to bring somebody in and beat them out. But um, now these two guys have been. Uh, Dax is a four-year starter. C was our sixth man uh, his freshman year, and, and he had a great freshman year. You know, Romy, think about this. He's been all all first team, all defensive team for three years in the Big Twelve. It's going to, you know, he'll end up being one of the few, if, if there are any, I'm not sure, four-time all-defensive teams in, in, in that league, which is a, a really, really hard league. Yeah, that's an incredible stat. I was going to mention that to you. I want to make sure that the listeners understand that. A Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year and a member of the all-Big 12 defensive team three straight years. He set the school record for career steals earlier this year. Now, Bob, you've coached some really good defensive players. Have you ever had a better defensive guard than Carter? No, I don't think I have. I've had some really good ones. Um, but, 
his versatility. He's really good off the ball. He's good on the ball. Uh, obviously, he's he's good at running through passing lanes. You know, you can play him anywhere. And, and you know, with our pressure, we kind of do. We play him in different positions, and so he's he can kind of hide and sneak up on people a little bit. But uh, he's he's terrific. Key phrase here, Hug, our pressure, our pressure. Because after the win over to Pittsburgh, you didn't seem especially pleased with the pressure when you said, quote, our pressure sucks. We haven't done a very good job with it. What did you see that made you say that, and have you seen improvements since then? Well, I've never come right out and said what I think. No, um, never. 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 So, and don't so, start now, Bob. Uh, no, nah, there's no reason to start now. <laughs> right. We just weren't very good. Uh you know they they had a center who was good with the ball, which makes it a little more more difficult. But we just we had we didn't have any ball pressure. We didn't get to the ball. We we were really late getting to where we needed to be. And and uh, we've spent uh, we've actually said had some time off between Pitt and tomorrow night. We had an exhibition game in there that I wanted to get just so we could get some thing on things on film to show them. But I think we've gotten better. Bob Huggins joining me for a few more moments. Now, you opened up the season by facing Texas A&M in the Armed Forces Classic in Germany. Maybe the result was not what you would have liked, but on the way out there, you tweeted a pic of the players on the team and said, it's times and experiences like this that continue to make me love this game, end quote. So what did you and your players take away from that experience? Well, that that the things we were telling them we had to improve and to, to be able to win, I think they... They took a little bit more to heart. They, they were they're good. I mean they're they're really experienced. They, they 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 put a lot of guys with a lot of experience on the floor. They can really shoot the ball. Uh, their their front line people can handle the ball. Uh, and they were just they were just better than us that day. I think I think we've gotten a, a lot better since then. In another whatever it is, I six or seven games, we get Issa Mod back and. That'll, that'll make us even better. You know, Bob, you talk about experiences. This is a big Frank Martin house. Nearly every time he is on this show, he talks about you. He talks about the impact you've had on his career. So what was it about Frank that separated him, maybe from everybody else, and what did it mean to you to see him reach the Final Four this year? Well, what I told Frank was I, I hired him because I tried to go down to Miami Senior and recruit all of his guys, and then you know, he didn't have the Miami senior job anymore. And, and, uh, he actually, he actually, uh, I, Ronnie Everhart, who is now my assistant and was the head coach at Northeastern. And I told Ronnie he needed to hire Frank hmm. and Frank did a terrific job for Ronnie. And then, uh, I asked Ronnie if, if, you know, if, if I could talk to Frank about coming with us and, uh, I had a great staff at Cincinnati whenever everything went South. I had, I had Frank Martin and Andy Kennedy. Um, and then Frank went with me to Kansas State, and it worked out that he got the head coaching job. I told Romy, here's what I told President Weefald. You know, when they were they were uh, oh a little nervous about having Frank take over, and that Frank had never been a a college head coach. I said, you know, this guy coached more great players at Miami Senior, more Division One players than most of us have on a roster. Hmm. And when you think about having eight high-level now, not mid-major, low-major, high-level 
D1 guys, and you're able to manage that, manage the playing time, manage the egos, blend them all together, you're one heck of a basketball coach. And, and, and that's what I told the president. I said, listen, this guy, this guy's had more probably pros on his team, on his high school team, than I had on the majority of the guys I've had for the last 40 years. So I just, I, I just, I, I love the guy. I mean, he can coach. He does it the right way. Uh, he stands for the right kind of things. And I know, I know they were, they were really sad to see him leave Kansas State. TV guys, I want to try a take, a rant with some video. And you don't need to see the video for it to work on radio, but I want to see if the TV guys can go along with this. All right? So just kind of humor me for a minute, clones. And it'll work for you too. So ladies and gentlemen of this jungle, clones, and especially you, Drew, in West L.A., contrary to some ignorant, misguided, popular belief, I really have no interest whatsoever in what comes out of the human body. In fact, I have less than no interest whatsoever. It's disgusting. It's revolting. It's juvenile. It's sophomoric. It's got no place on this show. And Drew, I really don't give a damn what kind of tape you find and you dust off. That was then. This is now. Statue of limitations, bro. Go ahead and look it up. All that being said, yes, I saw that one lady, one row behind the Atlanta Hawks bench last night absolutely lose her breakfast, her lunch, and her dinner all over the place. And no, I don't have some snap take about how the Hawks are so bad they induce vomiting. That joke has been made about a thousand times on the internet already. It's lame. And the Hawks were winning when it happened, so the joke doesn't work. It doesn't even make sense. I do, however, have some advice for that poor woman. But before I get there, I will say I am genuinely curious about one thing. What caused her to turn into a fire hose of liver bile? Because what that camera accidentally caught last night was one of the most random acts of vomiting you were ever going to see. We're talking about a woman in her chair at a basketball game that out of nowhere just puts her head down and loses it completely. I'm watching it on TV. The TV guys are nailing this like over and over again. She's puking everywhere. You know, how do you just lose it like that? What is that? Is she wasted drunk? Did she get some bad nachos? Does she have the flu because that is going around? Hell, is she pregnant? I really want to know because the camera left nothing to the imagination except the cause. Now, I've got some unsolicited advice for anybody who feels like they've got a sudden urge to evac their stomach contents in public. Do not cover your mouth the way this lady did. She tried to put her hand over her mouth. I understand that's the natural reaction when you want to try and stop or contain what's going on. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Tuck your head. Aim for the floor. Tuck your head. Aim for the floor. All you're doing when you cover your mouth is creating a ricochet wall. A ricochet wall that's catching everything at its highest speed. And nobody within 10 feet of you has any prayer of surviving something like that. Don't do it. Remember, if you feel like it's coming up, tuck your head. Push your chin into your chest. Tuck your head and duck. I didn't even want to do this story. I had no interest in this story, but it happened in sports and allows me to try to make the world a better, cleaner, safer place with some great advice on limiting blast radius of puke. It's going to make the world a better place. Me 
helping you limit the blast radius of vomit. Do me a favor. Do not react to this take. File it away in the back of your skull for when you need it. I didn't do this for me or for her. I did it for you and for the TV guys because they both needed it. The TV guys crushed their side. Now I'm looking for you to do the same thing. I'm not here to make fun of her. I'm here to help the rest of you. In fact, what you should really do, next time you're on an airplane, rip the paper bag from the chair pocket and carry it with you wherever you go. And on the off chance that you're going to yak, you're covered. There, you're welcome. Now I'm gonna move on to the next thing, and you should too. It could happen to anybody. It happened to her, and cracking on this poor woman almost ensures that it's going to happen to you too. Man, it's bad enough that something like that happened to that poor lady at an NBA game, and thousands saw it. But now because of the way the world is, millions of people saw it because it happened on a much bigger stage. The internet. Leave her alone and stop asking me what she had for lunch. I don't know. Tuck your head in, aim down. And better yet, just carry a bag with you wherever you go. That's what they're for. That'll do it for now. Podcast Tuesday, The Daily Jungle. The Jim Rome Podcast with Keegan-Michael Key dropping later on today. And then just two more shows until the year in review on Friday. Thanks for listening. See you next time. I'm out. We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chick intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time.